he says, well, in and so on and so forth. For 10 years. After the murder of this man, the world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, oh, Musa. I stood in the majlis of Imam. To the books of the Muslims, Sunni and Shia. A'udhu billahi minash shaitan ar-rajim. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Understanding faith and understanding the words of God are not only achieved by studying and are not only achieved by contemplating on the books that speak the principles of faith and religion, but understanding the word of God comes with special prerequisites, a special discipline, a special understanding. And when we go to the Qur'an, we find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala points us to one man who was able to gather all the prerequisites and the disciplines and was honored then to be named and given the title of Kalimullah. Musa ibn Imran was given the title of Kalimullah, the man who spoke to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And indeed, when we gather in the month of Muharram, in the month of Safar, in the month of Ramadan, the nights of Arba'een, in such important occasions, we're having a direct conversation with the Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whether we study the Qur'an or we recite the Qur'an, or we contemplate on the tafsir of the Qur'an, or the hadiths of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, which are considered a direct revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for he says in the Qur'an, لَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ He does not speak of himself. إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَىٰ So when we discuss the Qur'an, or we discuss the hadith, or we discuss, for example, dua, within our lectures and such important occasions, we're actually speaking the word of God. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala points us to Musa in order for us to understand the prerequisites and the disciplines of having this conversation with the Most High, the Almighty God. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us the story of Musa that he escaped from Misr or Egypt after he was accused with murder and he reached Palestine. Of course, you're all familiar with the story there in Palestine. He met the daughters of Shuaib. Shuaib then asked Musa to marry one of his daughters. In return of a dowry of, of serving the prophet Shuaib for eight to ten years. And Musa served the prophet Shuaib for ten years. After his service was done... Musa decided that he's going to return 
to Egypt. While he's returning with the family, Allah draws a beautiful picture for us within the Quran. Musa is in the middle of a desert. It's night. He might be afraid. He's lost. His family is there. Then he sees a fire. So he says to his family, I have found a fire. Wait. Let me go and come back and hopefully I'll come back with some good news. So he goes and he reaches the fire from the right corner next to the tree in the blessed valley. He hears the voice. Inni ana rabbuk Wow. Allah says, Oh Musa, I am your Rabb. Take off your shoes, for you are now in the blessed valley. It caught him by surprise. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here does not say, Inni an Allah, Inni an Rahman, Inni an Rahim. He says, Inni an Rabbuk. He uses the word Rabb, which is stemmed from the root word Murabbi or Tarbiyah, the one who gives discipline. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to Musa, O oh Musa, this conversation, this very moment is in need of a special discipline. Musa did not only meet and speak to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala once. But after he was appointed as a prophet, he went back to Bani Israel. He spent time with Bani Israel. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Musa, وَوَاعَدْنَا مُوسَى ثَلَاثِينَ لَيْلَةِ Now you come back for 30 days. And Allah says, وَأَتْمَمْنَاهَا بِعَشْرَ And we added another 10 nights. So they became 40. فَتَمَّ مِقَاتُ رَبِّهِ أَرْبَعِينَ لَيْلَةِ for 40 days, Musa was meant to spend time, quality time, a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah once again reminds him, Musa, Musa, this conversation comes with a special discipline. Besides the facts that hadith tell us Musa had to fast for 40 days and do special du'as for 40 days. And besides the fact that the narrations tell us after Musa found the sweetness of speaking to Allah, he never enjoyed a conversation with a human being. When you speak to Allah, you feel that sweetness in speaking with the Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Are you ever going to enjoy a conversation with anyone else? Similarly, we find our Imams. This Mawla, Imam al Hussein, salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhi, spend his entire time in conversations with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
the legacy of our imams, the du'as, du'a Imam Al-Husayn in the day of Arafat. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Dua Imam Zayn al-Abideen, Dua Abu Hamza al-Thamali. Dua Imam Zayn al-Abideen, Jawshan al-Kabir. Dua Amir al-Mu'mineen, Dua al-Sabah. Dua Amir al-Mu'mineen, Dua Kumail. Those are conversations with our Imams and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala where they felt that sweetness of having a conversation with the Lord. And me and you brothers and sisters, we stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just like Musa did five times a day in a conversation with the Lord. Aqim salat الشمس إلى غسق الليل وقرآن الفجر إن قرآن الفجر كان مشهودا According to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam is not just a conversation with Allah but it is the mi'raj of the mu'min. As-salat, mi'raj al-mu'min. So there is a reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala records this in the Quran. He says just like Musa had to go through a special discipline before that conversation you also have to go through that special discipline before the conversation. You also have to go through the special discipline before you recite the Quran, before you stand for salah, before you recite and, and read the dua and the supplication and before you attend the majlis to hear the word of God. Without further ado, I have another topic to discuss. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concentrates on three points of disciplining Musa. Now many people might say, well, Musa, Kalimullah, one of the Ulul Azm, he needs discipline. Say so, yes. Discipline, when I use the word, it has negative connotation. It means, if my son, my daughter, my employee makes a mistake, I discipline them. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala disciplines to eliminate the mistake. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala disciplines before the person is put on that track to then make a decision, whether it's going to be the right decision or the wrong decision. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Addabani Rabbi. My Rabb, notice that he also uses the word Rabb. He says, Addabani Rabbi. Allah gave me the best of adab. The best of morality, the best of ethics. And I gave that adab and morality and the highest standard of highest standards of ethical and moral principles to whom? To Ali ibn Abi Talib. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Oh Musa, in this 30 days that you're going to spend with me. In quality time, I'm disciplining you in the, three diff in the three following ways. And that also stems from the ayah. We'll look at the ayah momentarily. One, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Oh Musa, your job when you stand in salah or dua or you speak to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
or you sit in the majlis, or you sit on the minbar, these conversations with Allah are meant to create a connection between the creation and the creator. A connection between the creation and the creator. And you're never, never ever allowed to make a disconnection between the creation and the creator. What do I mean? One day Musa, and this is, this is also developed in a form of poetry by one of the greatest Persian poets. He says, Musa was in the deserts one day. While he was in the deserts, he saw a shepherd. This shepherd was having a conversation with God. He was saying, oh God, I wish you were here right now so that I would comb your hair and I would brush your beard and I would put a beautiful scent on your body and I would massage your hands and your feet. Then I would take the lice out of your hair and give you a bath. Then I would tuck you in bed. Musa came to him and he said, Oh shepherd, who are you speaking to? He says, I'm speaking to God. He says, you're speaking to God? You blasphemous you? You're speaking to God and you think God has hair and he needs a massage? And he needs you to take him to a bath? And he wants you to take out the lice out of his hair? Do you not know God? So the shepherd looked down and he said, I really don't know what else to say to God. That's all I know. Musa left. Days later, Jibra'il came to him. Musa, this man spent his entire life having a conversation with God. Every single day of his life, he spoke to God. After that conversation you had with him, he no longer speaks to his creator. Musa, go and fix it. Musa, your job is to make the connection and never to pull the plug on anyone. If there is a connection, your job is to strengthen the connection and never to pull the plug on that individual. The job of those majalis, the job of the majalis of Imam Hussein, the job of the masjid, the job of the Husseiniyah, the lessons of salah and siyam and hajj and ziyarah, is for us to learn how do we connect people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I tell you, sometimes we're caught on the opposite direction. What do I mean? I mean, you come to a masjid, to a gathering, to a Husseiniyah, you look at the crowd and you find the majority of the crowd seems to be seniors, senior citizens. You look at the crowd, you're looking for the youth. They're not there. The reason being is because some of those youth 
when they walk into a Husayniya or a masjid or an Amambarga or they choose to go to Ziyara, for example, the first thing we do is we say, this guy, what is he doing here? Isn't he the DJ? That DJ that does, you know? Isn't he, you know, the guy that used to work at that nightclub? Wasn't he the one that got in trouble several years ago with the law? Wasn't he the guy, the kid that had a girlfriend every day, a different girlfriend every day in high school? What is he doing here? We judge them. We cut the rope. We pull the plug. They'll never come back. They'll come in, maybe they'll be dressed in a way that is not the best of ways to be dressed when you come to a masjid, to a Husayniya. Or they're speaking in a way where it's not the best of best forms of speaking when you come to a masjid or a Husayniya. So what do we do? Instead of strengthening that bond, instead of strengthening that connection, Instead of making sure that this person leaves and comes back, we make sure that this person leaves and never comes back. If there is a woman, for example, that comes to the sister's side without the best of hijabs, or let's say has a history of, for example, sin, it is not my job to drive them away from the house of Imam Hussein and the majlis of Imam Hussein. Indeed, it is my job to strengthen that connection. So let me say this. Our job is to go and find those individuals in their homes this evening who are contemplating suicide from their loneliness and depression. Those who are going to spend this evening drunk and intoxicated in their beds. Those who are spending their nights in nightclubs away from Allah. Those who for a year or two or three have not even mentioned the name of Allah on their tongues. If you go and you find them and you bring them... Then that salah and the majlis and the dua has taken effect in your personality. This is the very first lesson Allah tells Musa. Number two, Allah says, Oh Musa, arrogance and iman never see eye to eye. They ought to be separated. You have to create a gap between them. Allah says, Musa, before you come to this meeting, I want you to bring someone that's lower than you in status. Bring that person with you to the meeting. So Musa, he calls out Bani Israel, they all stand in front of him. He looks at this guy, I know he's a thief. Looks at another guy, I know this guy lies. Looks at another guy, I know this guy, for example, steals. I know this guy destroys the life of individuals, and so on and so forth. And I tell you, it probably wasn't so hard to find such individuals in Bani Israel. 
But then Musa says, what if those guys did something good I'm not aware of? What if those guys repent while I'm taking them with me? What gives me the right to think that I am, that I am above those people? He was going, then he saw a dog, an ill dog. So he said, this dog must be lower than me in status. For God's sake, I'm a prophet of God. So he approached this dog, and as he got closer to the dog, he saw that the owner of the dog is telling the dog, sit, he sits, jump, he jumps, go, he goes. He says, this dog obeys every word that comes from his owner. He will defend his owner until the last breath. He will die for his owner, out of love for his owner. How am I supposed to put this dog above me? Allahu Akbar. Then he went to the meeting. Allah says, Musa, what happened? You were supposed to bring someone with you. Why didn't you, O Musa? Musa says, Oh Allah, I could not find anybody that was lower than me in status. I did not find someone that I could put myself above them. Allah says, Oh Musa, if you would have brought anybody with you, you would not have found me in Mount Sinai. Some individuals in our community, when they're not religious, they don't wear hijab, they don't pray, they don't go to hajj, they don't go to ziyarah, they're just normal people. But as soon as they wear the hijab, or they might go to hajj, or a visit to Karbala, or become the biggest donors in a community, then... Allahu Akbar, they become the police of God. Judging every person in the community, putting themselves above every person in the community, thinking that they have been appointed by God to run the affairs of Allah on the face of this earth. That's called arrogance. That is called arrogance. And not too long ago, I was in a majlis and I found a man, I found a man, white beard, white hair, 60, 70 years this man is inside, in and out of a majlis. He spoke to the youth, he spoke to two of the youth with the utmost arrogance, speaking to them as if he owned them. Inside the house of Imam Hussein, inside the majlis of Imam Hussein. You know what I told those youth after they walked away? I said, This man, he's too old. I, I really do not know what to tell him. But what I can tell you is, for 60, 70 years, this, those majlis have not changed anything in his personality. Oh, for 60, 70 years, you go to the majlis of Imam Hussein, and that's how you talk to other people. What have you gained from the majlis of Imam Hussein? 
You tell her, oh sister, why do you judge people? Why do you put her down? Why do you look at the person sitting next to you as if they don't belong to the house of Imam Hussein? Why do you speak to her in the way that you do? She says, well, because I've gone to Hajj. I have done Hajj. She hasn't done Hajj. She can also go to Hajj. She has the money. So if I have gone to Hajj and she hasn't gone to Hajj, that means I'm better than her. I go to ziyarah every year. She doesn't go to ziyarah every year. I'm better than her. Some people are better off not becoming religious if this is religion. If this is going to be the religion that they want to follow, stay. Stay non-religious for the rest of your life, please. Third, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Musa, inni ana rabbuk. Some Mufassirin will tell you that Allah looks at Musa, right, in this very important occasion, and he only concentrates on his shoes, so he says, Musa, take off your shoes. Is that it? Really? That's it? I mean, God just picks on Musa's sandals and he says to him, take them off. I don't like them. It definitely meant for Musa to take off his shoes. But it was a gesture, my brothers and sisters. Allah is telling him, Oh Musa, those shoes represent the dunya. The leisure of the dunya. The beautification of the dunya. Oh Musa, when you approach me, when you come to me, when you stand in salah, when you read dua, when you read the Qur'an, when you come to the majlis, leave the dunya. Come to me. When you give for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, don't think of the dunya. I'm going to give $5,000. What happens to my dunya? Allah says, who are you doing this for Allah? Leave the dunya. I'm going to hajj, what's going to happen to my school, to my work, to my business? You're going to Allah, leave the dunya. I stand for salah. It's only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I read the dua only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I leave the dunya. I come to the majlis of Aba Abdullah al-Husayn. I sit in the majlis of Imam Hussein. I hear the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I leave the dunya. I leave the dunya. That is why, brothers and sisters, when we come to the majlis of Imam Hussein, when we come to the Quran, Let's leave the dunya momentarily when we stand for salah, when we come to the majlis, when we go to hajj, when we decide to spend quality time with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or to make a transaction with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you give that money to Allah, don't calculate that money when it comes to the materialistic life of yours. 
Don't say, well, now I have 10,000. I can only afford giving 3,000. No, 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 no. You're not giving away that 3,000. Allah does not need your 3,000. Allah is not going to take that away from you. Allah is testing you. Tonight, it's Friday night. The night and the day that belongs to Sayyidina wa Mawlana wa Sahibu Ni'matina Al-Imam Al-Mahdi Al-Muntadar Ajjalallahu Ta'ala Farajah And our relationship with Imam Al-Mahdi if we want to understand the Imam, the position of the Imam, and to make a better connection with our Imam, we have to understand those three prerequisites and principles before we approach him. And if there is one thing, brothers and sisters, that unites the Muslims, and the Christians, and the Jews, and the Sabians, and the Zoroastrians, and the Buddhists and the Hindus, it is not the oneness of God. It is not the miracles of Jesus. It is not the words of Moses, neither the Quran of Muhammad. But it is the belief in the Savior in the end of time. The Savior who is ought to fill this earth with justice and peace after it's been filled with injustice and tyranny and brothers and sisters we live in an extremely awful time awful time the world is in a global war global war against terrorism but terrorism increases by the hour we live in a world where people are deceived. Oppression, killing. Every day we wake up and we go to sleep with the news of amputated heads, amputated hands, amputated feet. And the entire globe, the entire world awaits the Savior. So it's not only that they believe in the Savior. But now all of them together are awaiting the Savior. And I would like to examine this topic in the following manner. Number one, the eminent signs of the Savior and the Jewish, Christian, Hindu, Buddhist and Zoroastrian books. Number two, the eminent signs in the days before or the months before the arrival or the return of Imam al-Mahdi. Number three, the very first days of the governance of al-Imam al-Mahdi. And last but not least, the relationship of the companions of Imam al-Mahdi with, with Imam al-Hussein with their master and the companions of Al-Imam Al-Mahdi with their master after your loud salawat ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad.
The very first sign is in the book of Genesis. Chapter 12, verse number 1. The sign speaks of the mother of the Savior. And the verse says that she's clothed by the sun and the moon is under her feet and she's crowned with a crown of 12 shining stars. Now the scholars, the biblical scholars, have long had a disagreement of who the mother of the Savior is because this does not apply onto the character of the Virgin Mary. So who's this woman? When we come to the books of the Muslims, Sunni and Shia, whether it's the Shia books or Sunni books, such as, for example, Al-Mustadrak Al-Sahihain by Al-Hakim Al-Naishaburi and others, Imam Al-Mahdi is referred to as the son of Fatima Al-Zahra. Al-Mahdi min Wuldi, Rasulullah says, Al-Mahdi min Wuldi wa min Sulbi Fatima. And he is from the womb of Fatima to Zahra. Even though his mother is Narjis. But when they speak of him, when they refer to him, they say he is the son of. Number two. The Savior is from the sons of Abraham. The book of Genesis chapter 12 verse 28. Where God speaks to Abraham and he says I shall purify this earth with one of your progeny and it is him who fill, who will fill this earth with peace and we know that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam is from the children of Ibrahim and Imam al-Mahdi is also from the progeny of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Third, again in the book of Genesis chapter 17, that the Savior is from the children of Ismail and the twelfth of the rulers from the progeny of Ishmael. The verse says that I shall increase the numbers of Ismail. I shall increase his numbers. Number two, I shall make him fruitful. And number three, I shall make him the father of the 12 rulers. The book of Psalms chapter 149. Allahu Akbar. The sign, Allahu Akbar. The book of Psalms, chapter 149, verses 4 through 9. God crowns the humble victory. God crowns the humble victory. God crowns the humble victory. They begin to praise him 
with their tongues while holding a double-edged sword in their hands. Who's ever had a double-edged sword? Another sign of the Savior is that He is the one who eradicates injustice and destroys monarchies. He's the one that eradicates injustice and destroys monarchies. You see, brothers and sisters, Al-Imam Al-Mahdi Salawatullahi wa Salamuhu And I want you to pay attention to this. Is the completion of the task of Imam Hussein. He's here to complete the task of Imam Hussein. Imam Hussein began the revolution, he sparked the revolution. And you tell me that it's not continuing until today? 17 million people until this day leave their homes, leave their comfort, spend money. They defy ISIS, terrorism, Al-Qaeda. They walk on their feet just to go and say, Oh Hussein, we are here because of your love. Your love is what drove us here. Your love is what motivated us to be here. لَبَّيْكَ يَا And Al-Imam Al-Mahdi is the continuation of that message. Imam Hussein in dua Arafah, the dua that's all the hajjis they read. He can dis describe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in many ways. There are many ways of describing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam Zainul Abideen describes Allah in 1,000 different ways in Dua Jawshanul Kabir. But Imam Hussein describes him in the following manner. Listen to this. Number one, He is the one that hears the Dua. He is the one that hears the Dua. And he is the one that removes the pain, the agony. And he is the one that elevates the status of people. People that saw him, Hussein, 10th of Muharram, beheaded. Imam Hussein says, no, he is the one that elevates. And then he says, and the final way that he describes him is that he is the one that destroys the Jababira. Allah is the one that puts an end to Pharaoh and the likes of Pharaoh. Allah is the one that stands and makes it his own task to end the zulm and the injustice and the tyranny of the tyrants. And we have seen this, especially in the Arab Spring. The removal of Saddam Hussein. Who would think that one day Saddam or Muammar al-Qaddafi or Husni Mubarak would ever be removed from their power? Those people were for of our time. 
And inshallah, time will come for the rest of the Fir'auns. So he is the one that eradicates all the injustice. Another eminent sign, as in the book of Besk, of the Hindus, that he is the leader of human beings and the jinn. And what do we tell him? Assalamu alayka ya imam al-insi wal-jan. Another of his supreme qualities, according to Hindus and Buddhists, a narration from Buddha himself is that he is the son of the best of God's creation. And Rasulullah says, Al-Mahdiyu min wuldi. He is my son. And according to one of the most important books of the Zoroastrians, he is from the tribe of Hashim. And he is the one that comes with the religion of his ancestors. Now, Imam al-Mahdi could be examined through the book of the Christians, the book of the Jews, the book of the Hindus, the book of the Buddhists, the Zoroastrians, the Muslims themselves, the book of our Sunni brothers. But I would like to conclude this evening from speaking of signs that belong in the Muslim books. Those are eminent signs mentioned by the Sunni and Shia. There is a complete consensus on the following three signs before the arrival of the Imam. Number one, a global war. That's eminent. A global war. Number two, the area of Sham will be taken over by an army led by a man named Uthman al-Sufyani. And they follow the lineage of Bani Umayyah, Abu Sufyan. And they do that which Bani Umayyah and Abu Sufyan did. Cutting off the bodies, eating livers, chopping heads, amputating hands, amputating the feet. Who started the amputations? Yazid ibn Muawiyah. Yazid ibn Muawiyah says, whoever does not give me allegiance, I cut his right hand and left foot so that he becomes a lesson for anyone else who does not want to give allegiance. Number three is that Medina will be taken over for three days by the army of the Sufyani. Why? Because number one, their last ruler, according to the books of the Muslimin, according to books of history, by the name of Abdullah, will be killed. Their last ruler, by the name of Abdullah, will be killed. By whom? By his own people. By his own tribe. He will be killed. When he, of course, I don't know if it's this Abdullah, but I'm definitely hoping it's this one. 
regardless, he will be killed. Once he is killed, there is going to be chaos. So the authorities seek the help of the Sufyani. He comes from Sham. He takes over Medina for three days. What does he do in Medina? Exactly what Yazid did in Medina. They kill every man from Bani Hashim. They say, who's a Sayyid? We kill him. Then they find a man, his name is Muhammad, his father's name is Hassan. They not only kill him, thinking that he is the Imam. They not only kill him, but they crucify him in Masjid al-Nabi. And then his sister comes to defend him. Her name is Fatima. They also crucify her in Masjid al-Nabi. The event is witnessed by the entire world. There is going to be an outrage. Those are the three eminent signs. Before the arrival of the Imam. The arrival of the Imam begins with number one. A call in the month of Ramadan that says Mahdi, the Mahdi has reappeared. The Mahdi has reappeared. But when the Imam reappears, it is the end of Ghaybat al-Kubra, but also not the end of his Ghaybah. What do I mean? It's the end of Ghaybat al-Kubra. Ghaybat al-Kubra, the great occultation has finished. But the Imam is not going to be in a known location. The Imam is not going to have a known place for people to visit him and intermingle with him. No. It's going to be similar to Ghaybat al-Sughra where the Imam is going to speak through messages and representatives. And I will explain. From the month of Ramadan all the way to Hajj, that year... The authorities will stop people from going to Hajj, but the number in Hajj will be extremely high. People will manage to go. There is going to be seven scholars, seven scholars, who after the month of Ramadan have taken allegiance from 313 people. They go to Mecca looking for the Imam. To give the Imam the allegiance of those 313 those seven scholars have not discussed this amongst themselves. But when they arrive there, they somehow are connected to one another. They find the Imam in Medina. But he escapes. They find him again in Mecca. He leaves them. They chase him again. They look for him in Medina. He leaves them. He does not leave any trace behind. And the ninth of Muharram, and Hajar Ismail, the Imam is there. Those seven scholars see the Imam. They say to him, Yabna Rasulullah. We have come to Hajj to give you the allegiance of 313 people from our communities. And now it is Muharram. We want to find you to give you this allegiance. On the 9th of Muharram, the Imam stands. He gives his beloved back to the Kaaba. Those people come and give allegiance to the Imam one after another. 
There appears Jesus, the son of Mary. There is Khidr. There are also many of the followers of the Imam. He takes the bay'ah on his flag. It says, Al-Bay'atu Lillah. It's a yellow flag. On it, it says, Al-Bay'atu. The allegiance is for Allah. Then the Imam leads one congressional, one congregational prayers. Behind him is Khidr. Behind him is Jesus, the son of Mary. Then he leaves Masjid al-Haram. When he leaves Masjid al-Haram, days, maybe months later, the Imam sends a Sayyid. One of his representatives is very young. To read a declaration by the Imam in Masjid al-Haram. As soon as he begins to read the declaration, they behead him inside Masjid al-Haram. They kill him. After the murder of this man, the world is again in extreme outrage. The number of individuals that stand in solidarity with the Imam increases. And the first thing that Imam does is that he goes into a peace treaty like his grandfather Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa wasallam with many groups but one fight is eminent and that is having to face the Sufyani that is having to face the children of Bani Umayyah that is having to, sur to face the savages that stand against the call of Hussein, his grandfather and his grandfather, Amir al-Mu'mineen, and stood against his grandfather, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. So he will stand like his, like his grandfather, Hussein ibn Ali. He will stand firm. First he goes. He visits the shrine of his grandfather, Abba Abdullah. He says to him, Ya Jeddah, Ya Abba Abdullah, لَأَبْكِيَنَّ عَلَيْكِ بَدَلَ الدُّمُوعِ دَمَا وَلَأَنْدُبَنَّكَ صَبَاحًا وَمَسَاءً they say that a call from the grave of Hussein comes. Ma waladi. Oh my grandson, what took you so long? Today when you go to Karbala, you find that there is a red flag on the dome of Abba Abdullah al-Hussein. This red flag resembles a death without vengeance. Meaning this man died and nobody took his vengeance. This man died and he was a mudloom. Ayna. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.